Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post. Next up, we have hip-hop producer, rapper, and one of the greatest American film composers of our time, the RZA. Coming up, I talk to RZA, a.k.a. Bobby Digital, about forming the Wu-Tang Clan, growing up in Brownsville, and his newest album with DJ Scratch. Up next, the RZA. Let's go. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. You know the rules. Download the podcast. Leave a five-star rating. Tell a friend to tell a friend. What's been your favorite episode? Who's your favorite guest? What's your favorite last call? How about Gone in 60 Seconds? Wait till you check out this week's theme. This week's theme is it just needs to make sense to you. Don't even worry if others will get it. See out your vision to the fullest extent of how you imagine it. As creatives, we have people in our tribe whose paths we may never come across, but They're like-minded. They also feel misunderstood. And like me and you, color outside the lines just a little bit. Those are the people you want to reach. They'll get it. They'll support it. It'll resonate with them. However, if you doubt yourself and conform with what you think will sell and what will get you the biggest audience or the most likes, you're going to abandon your largest audience. The people who are waiting for a unique vision just like yours. So let the powers that be call you a niche market. Let them tell you you're not marketable. You might be ahead of your time. They might tell you you freestyle too much. That's what they told me when I first got in the game. Don't let that stop your drive or slow your hustle. If you care about what other people think, you will always be their prisoner. So free your mind to create what feels authentic. It just has to make sense to you. My next guest knows about that. The RZA is a pioneer producer, rapper, and leader of the legendary Wu-Tang, Wu-Tang, the Wu-Tang Clan, who put together an all-star roster of talent. Even though back then it didn't make sense to a lot of people, the world eventually came around to see the vision, allowing him to become one of the most innovative musicians of our time. Coming up, I talked to the RZA about starting over from scratch, getting into scoring films, and his new album. Up next, the RZA. Hi, I'm Jalen Rose, and welcome to the Renaissance Man podcast, proudly presented by the New York Post, a show where we cover trends in fashion, entertainment, current events, and everything in between. My next guest is not only a legendary artist and hip-hop producer, but he's one of the greatest American film composers of our time. As one of the founders of the iconic group, the Wu-Tang Clan, RZA has had so many memorable verses and made so many classic beats throughout the years. And by the way, he's also worked with artists like Kanye West, 
Nas, and the Black Keys. Recently teamed up with my brother, DJ Scratch, for his new album, Saturday Night Afternoon Kung Fu Theater, which is out now. It is my honor, bong bong, to welcome the RZA, a.k.a. Bobby Digital, to the show. Not nah, nah, bong bong, without Jalen respect. Thanks for the invitation, bro. Thank you, family. I appreciate you taking the time. And obviously, I'm a huge fan, and I've gotten a chance to talk to you multiple times. But so that Renaissance Man audience can get to know you, I'm going to ask you a few questions about your childhood in particular. What was it like for you growing up in Brownsville, New York? And what was your introduction to hip hop? Wow, Brownsville never ran, never will. You know what I mean? That was probably the most dangerous grounds I ever walked on. You know what I mean? Dangerous in the jungles of Africa. Mm. Um, but I navigated that, you know what I mean? Me and my, my family, we had a chance to move to Staten Island, um, which was a little better, but still grimy. And it was on Staten Island at a, at a block party that I first heard the DJs bring out their turntables or MC on that mic and dip, dip, dive, so socialize, clean out your ears and you open your eyes, mm. you know what I mean? And that's exactly what I did, bro. I cleaned out my ears, opened my eyes, and I fell in love with hip hop. And your story is one of perseverance. And I think your origins helped lay the foundation actually why you're still so very successful today. And here's why. You started out as Prince Rakeem and you re released a hit single. I loved it. Oh, we love you, Rakeem. <laughs> and it did well. But that deal didn't work out for you. But then you did a 180. You reinvented yourself as RZA. Your style, your sound. That was every Then everything changed. What do you remember the most about that period? And what gave you the confidence to scrap everything and start over? Well, you know, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, you know, failure sometimes breeds success. And I don't mean just failure and failure in numbers, but just failure in personal feeling. You know what I mean? I was actually had one foot in the streets and one foot in the industry. And that feed in the streets kind of had me, you know, locked up in all reality. Won't, won't be shy to say locked up. Uh, facing eight years in jail. Uh, and it was that choice and, and that moment, that moment of contemplation, it was like, yo, am I going to go left or go right? And I decided to go right. I, I, I had to zigzag. Mm -hmm. And when I, when I looked at that letter Z, zigzag, zig, you know, in our mathematics, it means knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Understanding mm -hmm. is to see the picture clear. I zigzagged and I, and I took that Z and put it in my name. You know what I mean? And I, and I knew by the grace of Allah, I don't never shy to say all praises due to Allah. I knew by the grace of Allah that I was able to come out of that and able to have a second chance. So, boom, the R, the Z, and the A, the RZA was born. And when you say, when you ask Jalen about the, the, the confidence, um, the confidence comes from really knowing yourself, knowing your ability and trusting your own ability. Sometimes we always, somebody always tell you, oh, you could do it this way, you could do it that way, you could do it that way. But you got that inner brain, that inner thing saying, nah, do it this way. Mm -hmm. And I took a chance and I listened to my inner self and it worked. And along that journey, and you talked about just, you know, how rough and rugged it was for you in Brownsville. And we have so many young people that you inspire, that I look to inspire. Just talk about that period of your life where you're like, high school years, you're trying to figure out yourself, some of the poor decisions you made and ultimately put yourself in position to where it's like, I got to change my life and put myself on the path to chase my goals and my dreams. You know, when you're young, you know, you don't have 
360 degree view of things. You know, it's a very narrow view and, and, and you don't have enough experience to determine uh, good and bad. Mm. And you don't have enough patience to listen to those ahead of us, right? Our parents mm. and all that. But, um, you know, like, like every other young man, I, I found myself making foolish decisions. But I will, I will also say I was given the lessons, right? So we have these lessons called mathematics, mm. which gives you a, a, a formula of thinking. And so when I started applying that formula to my actions, <clears throat> it actually made everything better for me. And I'll just give you a quick synopsis of it. Uh, number one, th the first thing you do is do the knowledge. Mm. So knowledge means you got to look, listen, observe, and respect. So when you look, listen, observe, and you're not touching. Mm -hmm. right? You're not acting. You're, you're observing. You're respecting what's around you. Then you wisdom, which mm -hmm. is to react to it, to speak about it. And once you knowledge and wisdom, then you could go to your understanding, which would be a clear picture. Mm -hmm. like some people act without understanding or without doing the knowledge. So those that process of thinking helped me. And I would advise it to any young man. You know what I mean? Take that three, take those three steps. Do the knowledge first before you do the wisdom, and then bring forth the understanding. Uh, you know, even when we was, you know, running around, you know, young man, you know, attracted to guns. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Attracted to violence, attracted to drug dealing and all these type of things, uh, attracted to that fast way, not realizing the, that that the fastness also has a fast ending. Mm. You know, there's an old parable or Aesop mm -hmm. fable with the rabbit and the turtle. Mm -hmm. The turtle won the race. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> really though, really though, turtle yeah, so did win the race. Yeah, so take that patience, all my young brothers out there. Be patient. Don't don't look for the don't don't they say don't give up the don't give up for the immediate pleasure, and turn it in for the long term gain mm -hmm. because that which is long term earned and gained lasts long. Diamonds don't grow overnight. Gold don't form overnight. It takes a long time for these things to become what they are. Thus, that's why their value is intrinsic. And digesting that knowledge, wisdom, and understanding you became the brainchild of not only one of the greatest groups of all time, but you did it with family in a lot of ways. Your cousins, ODB and Jizza. Then you recruited more talent to source around the hood like Raekwon, Inspector Deck, Method Man, You God, mm -hmm. Ghostface, and eventually Master Killer. What made you think of the hip hop group that large would work? <laughs> Posse tracks had been done, but a nine man group, Rizzo? I know that. Well, I tell you one thing, we all had something in common, the common denominator that we all were seeking something better. Mm. Um, I had, I could, you know, egotistically, I don't, don't want to get egotistical, but being that I had a dance in the hip hop industry already as Prince Rakeem, I kind of had a chance to to suss out the the, the playing field, mm. and I definitely knew that nobody was in the game like us. Mm. You know what I mean? And so where I saw something was missing. I decided to inject it. Mm. You know, one thing, Jalen, that uh, I think some people don't understand, hip-hop has had has multiple roots to itself. Mm -hmm. I'm just give you one root about hip-hop that, that was important, but that kind of went away when, it, when the industry got involved. Hip-hop wasn't easy to be a part of. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just wear a Kango. You Correct. couldn't just wear a gold chain, wear a pair of fly sneakers because you was amongst wolves. Mm -hmm. So you have to have a certain type of strength to do mm -hmm. that. 
You know what I mean? Um, my crew had that strength. Mm-hmm. Everybody in Wu were alphas. These mm-hmm. are dudes that that was on Staten Island, but they they ran through the Brooklyn, they ran through the Bronx and made it home. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Exactly. Um, and so that type of energy was missing in hip hop, whereas it was like the people of the streets who are living it, but also have the talent. Because mm-hmm. sometimes when you get the talent, um, a lot of times uh, the talent is more nurtured away from the streets. And no disrespect to, to a lot of our pioneers. No doubt. Um, but um, I just think that that part of it was missing. And then the underdog. You know, are you going to give a high school dropout a chance? Mm. Are you going to give an ex-felon a chance? Mm. Most cases, no. Right. My crew consists of seven of those. <laughs> but, and I'm not saying that on the, like I said, it's no doubt. Real it still. But it's real. Yep. It's real. Right. But their circumstances made them that. Correct. Okay. Their talent and their genius of artistic expression was in them. Mm-hmm. But they got a chance to show itself. And so, me having a chance to have that experience in the industry and knowing that there's a path to release. I went and was like, yo, we can do this. Trust me, I know how to do it. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, and I also want to give one thanks real quick. And thank you for asking the question, first of all. But I want to thank an unsung hero of hip hop. Name, his name is Mr. James Smith. Mm. So, so Mr. James Smith was the father of my first manager, Mel Kwan. Mm. He actually invested into his son's idea of his own record label called Jamaica Records. Mm. He had an artist on there called Sir Abu who made a song called Holy War that used to play on DJ Red Alert. Mm. It was hard body. It's actually the same uh, vibe you get when you hear God Flow from Kanye West mm. or um, uh, um, um, Ghostface Killer Joint. Um, man, on Supreme Clientele, Ghostface did a joint as well. Mighty, mighty healthy. Mm-hmm. Right? Those two vibes actually come from Sir Abu. So, I'm giving respect to Mr. James Smith because when Mel Kwan was managing me, he would bring me to the house and Mr. Smith had all these box of records in his house. Mm. He invested into his son's dream Mm. and he had their own record company. The the phone was right there. The records was there. The the invoices was there. And he used to play chess with me. He used to love to play chess. So this this older man would sit there and play chess and I would ask him questions and how he did all this. And Mm. he would tell me. And that information never left me. You know what I mean? And so I eventually formed Wu-Tang Production, Wu-Tang Records, mm. and Protect Your Neck was first done in that same form. Crazy. And, and, and another Renaissance man guest, Angela Yee, and I've heard Stretch and Bobito talk about this, and you reminded me of this when you said we had artists from the street that also were creative in the studio. And you also reminded me of a time if you cop something, you had to be able to hold it. So you can rock the jewels, you can rock the fly gear, but you got to be able to hold it. And your crew was able to do that. So what was it like for a period of time for you guys to just break into the industry as you were making 36 Chambers and almost be to force your way in versus <laughs> be accepted? Yeah, we were, we, were, we were not accepted in a lot of places, you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it got to a point we was banned from every club in New York, you mm. know what I mean? But, um, uh, like I said, perseverance, and, and then also Jalen, the understanding. You know, we we came aggressive. We came to chop off heads, right? Mm. Um, um, so we came in war, but eventually, I think we took two steps back, and we thank people like Papa Wu, 
<clears throat> was like, yo, no, this come in peace, prepared for war. Mm. Okay, don't pull the sword that's necessary. And when we started kind of taking that energy, you know what I mean? It, it got better for us. So it was like, because, you know, ODB said, you know what I mean? You mess around, you get jumped. He like, he's like, all right, let's, let's calm down, you know what I mean? And let's, let's get in and let's be calm. But if it's on, it's on. So that 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 helped us kind of, you know, hearing somebody like Papa Wu and the old, like, like Raekwon and Ghost say on their song, the older guards put me on. Mm-hmm. Then what the older guards was telling us and then taking heed to that, it helped us and it and it it over the years, you know, because we used to go to the clubs and get into fight with the fights with the bouncers, you know. Mm-hmm. What I mean? But then over the years, we would go there. Like I remember going to a club. I have I know I had a hundred dudes with me, but I made them all weird across the street, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> and then I went What's to the bouncer and I just told him, I was like, yo, look, not this many people. Maybe maybe it's about 40 at night. I ain't gonna exaggerate, about 40 of us. But I was like, I'll pay for half, bong, you know what I mean? And it's, you know, and let the other half in, you know what I mean? It's, you know, you know, we just come to have a good night. Just got back in town from touring. He was like, all right, let's hold on. And he told me to hold on and he waited. And I was like, tell everybody to cool out. And uh and then uh about 10 minutes later, cops came and flooded the block. <laughs> 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 they sorted me out of there, but I, I still did it again. I came back in the same diplomatic way, and eventually, yo, it was like, come on in. They let me in. You know, I mean, they started letting us in, and we started, you know, containing ourselves because we also had to tame ourselves as well. Mm-hmm. And, and as, you, as you see now, we, we and you both, we're in a business where, mm-hmm. where. Where I said to another guy, where we got to put our Clark Kent's on in the day, you know what I mean? Absolutely. And so I remember an era of hip hop where the DJ and the producer were almost the stars, and then they allowed the artist to get on the Mm -hmm. mic. To me, that's what Wu Tang embodied in a lot of ways. I saw your creativity play out within a group of nine men and change the world. So I have to ask you. How and when you decide who's gonna go where on a song? So let's use Thirty Six Chambers for an example. Like, mm-hmm. how do you decide who's gonna go where on the song? Well, for me, there was two ways of doing it. One, sonically, knowing the voices of my MCs, knowing who had the bass, knowing who had the treble, knowing who had the aggression. So that became part of it, right? Second thing was on some of the songs, I would demo them first. Right, so there's a look, there's a version of Cream with me and Ghostface is rhyming. What it don't it didn't work? <laughs> you know what I mean? It didn't work. You see what I mean? So, so yeah. trial and error is that not being afraid to say, Yo, you don't, you know, you, know, you got to cut you off. Mm-hmm. You got to, you know, I, the, the order to protect your neck was changed from the, from the original order because sonically it just didn't flow. You know what I mean? So so I may have gotten that from being a DJ. I am a DJ. I, I, I became a DJ just to say this, to be clear with you. My first step into hip hop, right, was first as graffiti and break dancing, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Just hearing the music, trying to do the little break dance and write my name on the wall. But this is a nine-year-old kid, mm. all right? Then I used to steal Jizzle lyrics. You know, he already had rhymes. He was already ahead of me. The genius. Yeah. But then I decided to write my own lyrics. So I wrote my first rhyme, you know, in between nine and 10 years old. Then I kept writing it. But at the age of 11, me and Dirty sold newspapers 
Mm. Built up enough money, and we bought a pair of turntables. Mm. And I became the DJ. Mm. And he became like the beatbox. And and so being a DJ, you kind of have that control of the vibe. You know what I mean? And that really paid off when I learned how to become a producer and, and to produce for Wu-Tang Clan. Um, and not to jump ahead, but also pays off as an MC because on this new project, I'm the MC and DJ Scratch is the producer. Dope. Okay? And I'm letting him just, you know, he's one of the best DJs in the, ever. I mean, he's magic on the turntables. He's one of the best hip hop producers as well. And having the confidence, the MC having the confidence to let the DJ, yo, you do it, you do your thing, mm -hmm. pass me the mic, I'm gonna do my thing. And we created the whole project with, the, with that same basic foundation. And you brought up ODB, I have to ask you, please tell me a little more about Russell Jones, the man. Cause like David Bowie, we lost him way too soon. And for me, he was like a hip hop cab Calloway. So please tell those who know about ODB, just a little more about Russell Jones, the man. Man, he, he loved music. You know, his house and his family was the most musical out of all of us. If you went there, it was guitars was already there because his brother was playing uh, rock and roll. His other brother was already making mixtapes of, of old soul songs and Stevie Wonder ballads. His mother and father were in the middle of, a, of the family party. They'll start singing. <laughs> That's awesome. You know what I mean? That's and he'll awesome. jump up and start singing and dancing and performing. So he was a true artist. Uh, he also, you know, grew up, first he lived in Brownsville, uh, Stone Avenue, uh, before he became Mother Gasson. And then they moved to Linden Plaza. So Linden Plaza for us is, was like the uh, Jeffersons, right? Because they had, they, they had a terrace. You know? <laughs> like they rich, they got a terrace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we thought they was rich. You know, his mother and father both worked uh, for the city, one being 911 operator, one being a transit worker. Uh, his father was the first one in our family with a Cadillac. Mm. You know what I mean? And, and, and Dirty was really always, you know, he had more nicer things and he loved being fly. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But one thing about him that, that I think was important was his bravery. He, he was so brave, yo. Like, one thing we did as a kid, before parkour, they had this thing called cat agility. Mm -hmm. Like to jump off the roof and jump to this thing and jump to that thing. Right. Yo, he was good at that. Wow. I mean, and you have to have a certain type of, of, of bravery and a certain type of confidence to do that. You know what I mean? I was I was at the amateur level. Like once they started getting past 10, 12 feet, I was a I was a bystander. But he was, <laughs> he, was he was engaging. Wow. Um, and uh just and he and he and his soul, just want to say this last thing, the man, the man really loved that which was around him. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And out of and when he said Wu Tang is for the children, mm. he, meant, he meant that, yo. People don't know. He used to go back to the neighborhoods in Brooklyn with a pocket full of money, come back with empty pockets. You know why? He gave it all away. Wow. That's love. That's yeah. love right there. Rest in peace, ODB. Because uh, Osiris, like just that voice and that creativity and that originality from multiple members of Wu, like all of you guys are like super special. And, and I mentioned it in the intro as I talked about not only you as an artist and you mentioned being DJ and graffiti and just like embodying hip hop, but let me drill down on something else I said. You're one of the great American film composers. 
of our time. You created the score for Kill Bill 1 and 2, The Man with the Iron Fist, Afro Samurai, Blade Trinity. Your music has always felt cinematic, but at what point did you feel composing music for films was something you really wanted to pursue more seriously? Uh, thank you. Good question. It really was uh, a guy named Jim Jarmusch, director of uh, done a lot of great independent films. He called me up after listening to my music. He felt that I was progressing to that direction naturally. And he asked me to score his film, Ghost Dog, The Way of the Samurai, uh, starring Forrest Whitaker. And in that process, I kind of caught the bug there. Now, I did everything wrong, mind mm -hmm. you, okay? Mm -hmm. you know, making a film composing job is a nine to five, not a uh, 11 p.m. to 4 a.m. job, okay? <laughs> <laughs> right. 24, so I was 365. Yeah, I was still, I was still hip hop, right? So, but we got it done and it, um, you know, it attracted some ears in the game. And when I met Quentin, you know, who was, was a fan of Wu-Tang, he asked me like, you know, he never used a composer before, mm. but he was like, the way you produce your albums is the way I want the flow of this movie to be. Mm. I mean, so, and so uh, I took on the task and look, I studied, studied Bernstein, Mancini, you know what I mean? Um, Strauss, you know, Peter and the Wolf, Tchaikovsky. I studied what was done and I learned that instruments can be identified, uh, like, like, for instance, in Peter and the Wolf, when you see a bird, he always plays the flute. Mm. But when the wolf comes, he plays the trombone or the, or, or the, or the tuba, the, 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 low, the low frequencies. Mm. Then I realized that I was doing the same thing with Wu-Tang Brothers. Mm -hmm. And so that same translation kind of fell into my music and gave me a better understanding. I fell in love with not just being stuck to two bars and four bars of, of music, which hip-hop sometimes can be stuck into that. You know what I mean? And 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 when you compose, you could go 32 bars, 64 bars. You check out Afro Samurai, I mean, there's 32 bar phrases before there's there's even a repeat. You know what I mean? And that comes from, you know, that this understanding now I was able to gain. And I'm very grateful that Jim John Moose and Quentin Tarantino gave me the opportunity. Uh then David Goya on Blade Trinity gave me the opportunity. And I want to thank Jesse too, because the first after I did uh um, Kill Bill. I think the first movie I did, I don't know, it was Blade, but I also did Soul Plane. Classic. And when I did Soul Plane, <laughs> right, when I did Soul Plane, though, it was like uh, I had to do it like by all these studio rules. Mm. It's crazy, mm. and I, like, it was really a lot of union stuff. And, it, and but it, it it really polished me because it put me, like I said, to that nine to five. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a certain time leave a certain time, you couldn't touch certain things. It was, just, it was such a very uh, structured way of doing it, and that structure helped me. And so now as we're doing our, our series, Wu-Tang, The American Saga, mm. and I'm uh, composing, and you know, we got nominated for an Emmy for, for music, you know what I mean? So that's, that's, that's the blessing of, of learning structure, being patient, uh, as well as, well, I'll say this for your young viewers, not being scared to uh, step out the box with your creativity. Mm -hmm. A lot of everybody want to be the rapper or the producer. Mm -hmm. or the, look, you can be the the, the music editor. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a great job. You and your family will be living yep. very well off of that job. You know what I mean? Correct. So, 
multiple jobs in hip hop. That's exactly what I tell people about sports, for example. You see the uniform, you see the jersey, and you feel like I want to play. I'm like, you can, there's so many creative jobs within the sport that you can actually do longer and have a lot of fun doing it and be as close to the game as possible, like you were just talking about. Yeah, I mean, may I ask you this? Like, what is it? How many players on the, on the NBA? There are only 15 roster spots, 450 total players. And in the 60 plus year history of the NBA, only 4,200 players have ever played in the game. That's great. But how many people have worked in the NBA? Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Hundreds of thousands. Correct. Right? Exactly. Right, right. So that's, that's you know, I, you know, you know, what, know who gave me a bit of inspiration? I want to salute uh, Snoop Dogg. Because um, I didn't pay attention at the time, but he said he said something to me. So after Kill Bill, they had, we had the big Kill Bill premiere party. And Snoop was in the building. He came, he hung out. Love. Uh, and we was, you know, having a little cocktail with up. And he said, yo, Riz, you could do this shit till you an old man. Mm. I was like, huh. I mean, he said, nah, nah, this nah, 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 cuz. You could do this shit till you an old man. Mm -hmm. This is real shit you doing right here. Correct. And then and then LL, when we was in uh when I got nominated and we was in London. He came over and was like, listen, nah, listen, bro. The <laughs> same thing. Uh -huh. This is big. Mm -hmm. Like, you are who you are, but this is different. And this is something, like, other words, I don't have to worry about the stigma of, of the normal hip-hop competition and all that. This mm -hmm. is something different. So both of their words kind of sunk in. And by the time I, you know, a few films later, I realized, wait a minute. And so I started actually here in my studio to prepare for a longer journey. Absolutely. And and the thing is, the gentleman you just mentioned, while initially we got introduced to them as being artists like yourself, they've branched off and just become Renaissance men, entrepreneurs, actors, creators, composers. So there's something also I wanted to make sure I ask you before you get out here. And I appreciate you taking the time. When I was young, I was born in 73. We used to watch a lot of karate movies. So Chuck Norris, Jim Kelly, Bruce mm -hmm. Lee. Like, I used to wear the flat little shoes, <laughs> nunchucks. And so when y'all came out, I was like, yo, they got to be doing the same thing. So mm -hmm. how did you guys incorporate that? How did you decide to incorporate that in the Wu-Tang Clan? And it still stands, the Kung Fu thing. Well, look, like you said, it's your childhood that's going to make you the man you are. And we all could have, you know, in our generation, they had the Saturday afternoon Kung Fu Theater. Mm. And in my neighborhood, everybody would leave the block. No doubt. House, watch the film, and come back outside. And you'll see somebody added to a break dance move or try to move here. Or make, look, we all made our own new chucks, right? You made your own. You nailed <laughs> yeah. the shoestrings. Shoe yeah. Whatever it took, bro. Right? <laughs> so it was part of my childhood. And so... It, and it, it, it's, it's, it's built into the music. But there's another reason as well. In those films, you saw honor, you saw brotherhood, mm. you saw chivalry. Mm. You know, Bruce Lee was one man that was fighting against the system to try to stop corruption. You know mm. what I mean? Chuck Norris, he played the law enforcer who, who with his bare hands could take down the criminal, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Jim Kelly, our first, you know, our first black superhero in all reality, yep. you know, screen, who Who's, who's able to come on and, and be pure black with his afro, mm -hmm. shirt off, 
and take out 10, 12 dudes. All that energy inspired me because on the artistic level, it enhanced my imagination. Mm. To this day, if I ever get bored or get stuck in an imagine, imagination rut, I throw on one of my flicks, yo. You know what I mean? Uh, exactly. And th those days just remind me of like creativity and fun. And like before social media, obviously, and Google and the internet, like we had to create our own fun. That's yeah. what you were doing. That, that's people always talk about hip hop like it's only rap music, but it's graffiti, it's breakdance, how you dress, it's your lingo, it's DJing, and so it's a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a lifestyle, and 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 we live it, yo. And 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 some people are living it unconsciously because hip hop has touched every uh, fabric of our culture right now. Mm -hmm. You know, remember. When we was kids, yo, you get inside the elevator and it'd be some weird old picture to sleep music playing. Yes. Now you get in, yo, it's popping. Yeah, popping. <laughs> How about at sporting events? I remember being in high school. The only thing they played was maybe Woot, There It Is, or Montel right. Jordan, This Is How We Do It. Now I'm right. watching CVS the other day, a college basketball game, and they was playing Express Yourself going to the commercial. I was like, <laughs> what just happened? I remember exactly. I was playing NWA. They thought I was a thug. <laughs> <laughs> it's a beautiful thing, man, that, that our culture continues to grow, uh, continues to inspire, mm -hmm. and continues to actually provide economic food, clothing, and shelter for so many families mm -hmm. around the world. Look at South Africa, Ghana. All these artists are now getting a chance to enjoy what hip hop has given us. No doubt. And lastly, and I appreciate you taking the time, you mentioned the new album is out right now, a collaboration with the GOAT, DJ Scratch. Saturday night, Saturday afternoon, Kung Fu Theater is out right now. Right yeah. now. Make sure you go and cop that. When did you feel and why did you feel that this was the right time to put out new music? And what do you look forward to fans hearing the most when they cop this project? Well, we did it just to do it, like with no agenda. We both was in the quarantine, uh, you know, going through what quarantine put everybody through. <laughs> but I reached out to Scratch. I was like, yo, you had this one track you played to me a few years ago. You still got it? He was like, yo, I got a dozen. I was like, yo, <laughs> send it to me. And I just aired it out as an MC, and he did the production. And what I want people to get really... It's just a moment, yo. Just that moment that, that we got when we was uh, running into our cribs on Saturday afternoon and we turned that movie on. No and doubt. It took us somewhere else before we had to go back out to our concrete jungle. Mm -hmm. This album should be able to do that for you. Whether you're driving, whether you're working out in the morning, or whether you're just sitting there and just want a, a little breath of something different, this is that, this is that yo. Lyrically, musically, it's fresh. Well, both of y'all are goats at what y'all do. And everybody, make sure y'all get out there and cop that. RZA is a legend. But before I let you get out of here, I have a rapid fire segment called Gone in 60 Seconds. You ready to do this? Uh-oh, let's see what I got for you. Let's get it. Who's the funniest member of Wu-Tang Clan? Wow. I'm going to say ODB was the funniest member. And right now, uh, the, the wittiest humor is from the Jizzle because it's witty humor. The genius. What? your biggest hobby outside of music? Biggest hobby outside of music is, I'll say Kung Fu. You're back in New York for one night. What restaurant are you hitting up? Blue Ribbon. 
No doubt. The fried chicken all day. <laughs> the oh. and the Yo, they, you could get a great meal at two in the morning. Really though. Really though. Been there. That's what I love about New York. You take a nap before you go out. I love that so much. <laughs> What's the Kung Fu movie everyone must see? Five Deadly Venoms. That's a classic. And lastly, but certainly not least, make sure y'all see Five Deadly Venoms for real, for real. Name one music producer whose beats never cease to amaze you. Um, I'm gonna go with the great Dr. Dre, man. I love what Dre brought to the culture, and 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 every time you go back to it, you go, man, Dre was on it. And he just he just performed at the Super Bowl, and an extension of Dr. Dre is so many groups: Fifty Cent, N.W.A., Snoop, Eminem. That's what I think when I see. Method Man, Raekwon, Ghostface. That's an extension of my brother, today's guest, The RZA. Thank you for joining me, family. Looking forward to hearing the album. Thank you, Jalen. Peace. Last call. Last call. I'd like to thank my brother RZA for stopping by the podcast. One thing that came up a lot in our conversation is that he's a man who's not afraid to start over when things aren't working. Not only did he reinvent himself as RZA when his OG rap persona, oh, we love you, Rakeem, just didn't work out, but we also learned, check this, he rearranged Protect Your Neck multiple times, and this is crazy. Cut Ghostface and himself out of cash rules everything around me. Cream, get the money. Talk about a self-edit. Let that be a lesson. Don't be afraid to cut what isn't working. And don't be afraid to start over. Hitting a wall, hitting the reset button is always a great sign that change is needed. And you're never too old to pivot to a more clear path. I'm the Renaissance Man. See you next week.